A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show in which we demonstrate that everything, simply everything you could possibly think of, has its own history, like celery, cufflinks and drains. James, I think you've excelled yourself there. I I have. I want to do, again, I want to do all of those. I mean... uh, uh, especially celery. I think that would be the, one of the most difficult ones to do. Or we could do brains, brashness and brimstone. Or we could do bravery, brawn and bragging. Bragging, I, I think, would be a brilliant one. Mm. This is the best podcast what, of whatever type <laughs> ever in the whole wide world. Mm. I, so lucky you for listening to it. However, um, I, I, we need to be a, a little less braggadocious than that because... Today, we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining and explaining very carefully indeed how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew, Sam, that the history of ladders, and this was a recent episode, is in fact all about prehistoric cave art, the Crusades, the capture of Constantinople in 1204 using flying ladders. It's about 18th century lamplighters in Dublin. It's about accidents and superstition, falling off and walking under ladders. It's about medieval sieges and the use of ladders to scale castles. And of course, it's also all about snakes and ladders. Mm. Or that the history of meetings is all about 20th century campus novels. It's about state-sponsored sabotage. It's about the history of secret meetings and the Ku Klux Klan. It's about Admiral Lord Nelson and naval warfare. And of course, as all these histories are, it's about the court of Elizabeth I, Sam Willis. <laughs> Very good. Um, I've just given you away there. Well, I know you have a little. Um, the man who has just introduced me, let me just say that if history was a person with extremely acute awareness of his or her personal space, this man would politely edge around the balloon of exclusion before politely but insistently offering his hand to shake, shunning the socially crushing hug in favour of a more refined greeting. And yet, James, resulting in the same result, a meeting of minds across the mighty galaxy of time and space. He is Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. It's James Daybell. Hello, James. (laughs) Hello, Sam. Once again, you have excelled yourself here. (laughs) Now, the man not sitting opposite me, because we are social distancing still in lockdown 3.0 in the United Kingdom. Well, let's just say if he were a hug-related historian, he'd only be the legendary king of bear hugs himself, Big Daddy, a.k.a. Shirley Crabtree, rather than Big Daddy Kane. That would be a different kind of thing. Squeezing the truth 
out of the past. It's the famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. Do you remember Big Daddy Sam? As a wrestler, yes. I got a bit confused yes. about the historian link there, but it was excellent nonetheless. Um, well, squeezing the squeezing the truth out of the past. I got that. It was excellent. As if you were giant haystacks. As if it were giant haystacks. <laughs> Wrestling squeezing. Um, we are, believe it or not, doing the history of hugging. Um, I, I'm not sure why. I can see lots of reasons why we should, but I'm not sure. I won't work out, work out what have you decided to do it. I think in this COVID world, um, in an almost total absence of hugging, James, this is a good one to be doing. I think th- I think it was me. Uh, I think it was me who was doing this. I, I thought that uh, actually I'm missing hugs. Hmm. And, you know, we're in COVID, we're in lockdown, social distancing. We can't actually hug anyone nowadays. So it's all about psychological trauma. It's about sense of loss, of connection with loved ones. Uh, I noticed over the summer when meeting up with friends... Uh, that when you're actually allowed to meet, that it was really confusing how to greet them. Do you give them a hug? Do you, you know, which is one of the most natural things. And, you know, I'm very much a hugger. In fact, as you've noted in the past, I sign off my emails uh, only to my closest and and best friends, uh, hugs. Um, And I was reading an article this weekend in the Groiniad, which is all about people missing hugs. And there was this one woman who said that how she... Early on in the in lockdown, she went to visit her very elderly mother and she dressed herself up in full PPE, wrapped her mother in a huge duvet and then gave her a huge hug. And I think that more than anything, that's what people are missing during lockdown. Mm. It's the simple hug. Yeah. And it's fascinating history. I should say that uh, James was referencing the Guardian newspaper there, um, but just uh, <laughs> said as the Groiniad. Those, <laughs> those of you in the know, uh, the, the, the Groiniad or the Guardian uh, uh, back in the day um, had a, a terrible penchant for typos. Um, so those 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 learned people uh, refer to us as the Groiniad in a sort of humorous way. So anyway, here we are. We're back on the history of hugs. And so, I mean, I'd sat down and thought about it in a number of ways. Um, first of all, as we've talked about, James, there, we've got you know, hugging is a, a way of, it's a means of greeting people. But it's also, it's a display of, of, of emotion. It's a display of, of empathy and of gratitude, which are two sort of different ways of getting into it into the past. Um, I became fascinated with the idea of it being part of our own history. So one of the first human experiences in life, um, full stop, is for a newborn baby or lying in the arms of a mother. And um, that it's, it's just one type of parental touch, which uh, people have been studying and understanding right across time, different ways that uh, that newborn mothers can interact with children. That's one of the, the ways I want to be thinking about this, certainly in relation to the past. Um, I was also fascinated by the variation. So, you know, uh, the way that the British might meet someone is, um, and, you know, forget about COVID, but do you shake hands? Do you hug someone? Do you kiss someone on both cheeks? How do you actually go about that? So there's a there's a fascinating cultural variety in the whole business of greetings. And that also has very much changed across time. So all sorts of different ways that you can look at it. But James, why don't you kick us off? Well, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the, the sort of whole meaning, meaning of hugs. In our house, uh, our thinking about hugs is shaped by the film Elf. Have you ever seen the film? You must have seen the film Elf. Sometime uh, ago, the scene where he's on his way to New York and he, he comes across a raccoon that hisses at him 
and he says, does anyone want a hug? And then, as you can imagine, uh, it, the, the raccoon basically hisses even more and jumps at him. And this has become a thing in our house that if ever anyone looks like they're in a sort of slight grump, uh, you say to them, you know, does somebody need a hug? And of course, it has completely the yeah, opposite how effect. How massively but... irritating. <laughs> exactly. And, yes, no, really wind people up. You can imagine that. But I mean, there are all sorts of ways of thinking about hugs. I'm going to talk about tree hugging. There's free hugs. You know, people putting up signs for people to go along and, and, and hug them. There's also the gendering of hugs. You know, do men and women hug in the same way? Do men hug men in the same way? And I've noticed that that's something, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years that has passed into certainly the Western culture that I've um, been associated with either in the United Kingdom or in the United States. Uh, I was watching uh, Married at First Sight uh, the other evening, Married at First Sight Australia, uh, binge-worthy junk TV, if ever there was any. But I was struck by the way in which America, in which Australian men, you know, and quite sort of macho men, uh, were greeting each other at a get-together in a very sort of, you know, tactile and huggy kind of way. And when has that sort of the male hug been adopted? In Western culture. But I also I want to start by thinking about the science behind hugs. And you talked about um, this idea of, of, of mothers and newborns, you know, hugging. And I remember when my own children were first born, um, the midwives um, and sort of specialists were all encouraging fathers to do skin to skin to sort of promote that kind of bond between parents and and children and not just mothers but also also uh fathers and i think you know that does have a real sort of impact upon upon children that i know you're going to talk about but also the impact more broadly on of hugging on happiness and health and it's been clinically proven to reduce blood pressure heart rate trust and happiness it's supposed to be you know really beneficial within relationships reducing fatigue and illness and depression and all of those kinds of things and it's related to the release of oxytocin uh, in the body so it's a sort of chemical uh, reaction there. Um, I also think culturally it's quite distinct in different parts of the world so in 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 France in Spain in Latin America it, it's it's custom for you know, male friends to hug and be quite tactile, whereas in other cultures it, you know, it isn't. There's also hugging in in politics, you know, uh, from Jimmy Carter onwards in the United States. When did the hug become a sort of uh, political device? And you think about the way in which public figures, you know, just ostentatiously hug other leaders in public. And Ronald Reagan was not a hugger, but Barack Obama certainly was a was a sort of real kind of hugger. And you look at Donald Trump, and Donald Trump was very um, sort of dominant in the way in which he uses hugs and his, his, his backslapping. But I have been reading uh, a brilliant article in a journal called Comprehensive Psychology, uh, from 2012, uh, Volume 1, Article 13. Uh, you can Google it up uh, and you can get it uh, not through a paywall. So you can download this. And it's titled uh, Meanings of Hugging from Greeting Behaviour to Touching Implications. And it's by two Swedish academics, Lina M. Fossel and Jan A. Estrom. 
Uh, and the idea is that what they do is they look at the development of the hug across time and they think about it in terms of its representation as a form of greeting and it starts its meaning uh, from Saxon and Teutonic words which is which is hog and develops from there and it's, it's it's basically they think about the hug as a a way of greeting a salutation that basically demonstrates that you wish somebody well or at the very least you don't wish them harm so it transmits signals of friendliness or, you know, or absence of, of hostility. And this is a sort of this is something that you see uh, that anthropologists have studied and that you see in early societies. And then it sort of you can follow it through to things like tree hugging today and, and that kind of thing. So it starts in it starts thinking about it in terms of its anthropological uh, sort of origins and you look at the sort of manifestations and multiple facets of greeting whether they be facial expressions so smiling the way in which we look at people um, and then the the kinesics which is all about bodily movements and then proxemics in other words how we structure our our interactions with people and then bodily contact and hugging it argues occurs in such situations and expressed in many social contexts for example when saying goodbye after parties as a gesture of empathy or 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 comfort and it's interesting to think about all the different situations across history where hugs might have different meaning and as a greeting it's been studied by a range of of scholars from people who are interested not just in anthropology but people who have studied uh, the greetings among apes um and the way in which in particular while while apes use use hugging they don't use kissing uh and in fact in fact, man, uh, rather than animals, are one of the few sort of groups that um, actually display kissing as a form of behaviour. You can then think about it in terms of, you know, first human experiences in life as sort of newborn babies. And then you can think about it in terms of the hug as a gift, so a sort of gift exchange. And in other words, the sort of way of the way in which peoples have used gifts when they have encountered people who are other than themselves so you you put something down in front of people as a sort of as a sort of ceremonial greeting that you'd have that would show that you you are not aggressive towards them and that you are accepting of them and we can find examples of this in the bible for example this sort of ceremonial descriptions in the bible um, so for example when jacob saw his brother esau uh, coming towards him with 400 men he gave his brother a piece of offering in the form of livestock and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother and then quote, um, then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And this comes from uh, Genesis uh, 33, uh, uh, three to five and handshaking or hugging uh, is a very common element during uh, peace ritual in catholic holy mass um and is it still goes on in 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 the catholic church today as a sort of form of basically a way of giving the sort of sign of of peace and what i want to talk about now is is that the the article then shifts into looking at a sort of taxonomy of the hug so how do you actually dissect a hug and its various sort of meaning 
Um, and it's a more closer and affectionate form of greeting than, say, a handshake is. And it often comes after a handshake. It's one of the first things that you will do is you will have eye contact, you will then possibly shake hands, and then, you know, when you are more intimate, you will come in and give a sort of close hug. And there are different sort of parts of looking at a hug. There's where do you place your hand? There's body position. You know, how do you position your body? Are you sitting side by side people? Are you doing it in a, a sort of brotherly or sisterly way? Or is it something that is more affectionate? What kind of pressure do you apply in terms of hugging? Is it something that is seen as, as affectionate? Or is it something that is actually showing dominance? And we can also think about it in terms of in terms of how close you are to people. Um, and also the, the sort of real gendered differences between um, between men and women in terms of hugging. So if we think about it, you know, quite often there's a distinction between men wanting to shake hands predominantly, although that's not the same in, in all cultures, whereas women are much more comfortable in embracing and, and hugging. And there are clear kind of cultural differences around this. Um, you know, you think about how the easy affection that that French or Italian men show each other, even in even in Russia. I mean, I've already talked about how in Australia, uh, people, you know, we see men in in sort of popular TV programs now showing very easy um, displays of of affection to towards each other. Um, and also, it, the authors argue that within Sweden, they've noticed a real change in the last 30 years and they write that there appears to have been a change from a simple hello to actual touching arms or hugging especially among younger generations of Swedes. So there we are Sam there's a sort of the science of hugs the taxonomy of hugs and how to sort of think about and dissect the hug across history. Blimey, that's very impressive. But it opens up so many different ways that you can think about it. It makes you realise how many different histories there are. I'm going to take you to um, 1920s by John B. Watson. He wrote a book called The Psychological Care of Infant and Child. He wrote it with assistance from Rosalie Rayner, who is his wife. And there is some interesting debate nowadays about how much she actually agreed with Watson's um, fairly extraordinary ideas. Um, so this comes under the you know much broader history of of childcare and how it has changed over time. Of which hugs, as I mentioned before, it's a very important part that first um, hugging contact between a mother and a newborn, but also then to the extent in which you um, have physical contact with your child as they grew up. So uh, I love this because not only has it got a kind of a straight history, but um, I think it'll be uh, you know, relevant to everyone who's listening and they can locate this thought at some point in their own life history. And what um, John Watson does, which is different, um, is that he believes and he writes that children he thinks should be treated like a young adult and I'm talking really really young kids here and so he warns against um, the dangers of a mother providing uh, what he believes to be too much love too much affection because he thought that love um, along with uh, 
everything else I think understood by um, in the same perspective he was he was thinking about it here was actually it's it's conditioned and he argued that since society does not overly comfort children as they become young adults in the real world then parents shouldn't do it either that they shouldn't set up what he believed to be unrealistic expectations. This all leads to Watson writing this. This is from 1928. It's from The Psychological Care of the Infant and a Child. And I've uh, chosen it because you may assume that uh, a hugging of children is a fairly accepted norm. Well, put yourself in America in the 1920s as someone, one of the many, many hundreds of thousands who bought this book and believed it. The fact that our children are always crying and always whining shows the unhappy, unwholesome state they are in. Their digestion is interfered with and probably their whole glandular system is deranged. There is a sensible way of treating children. Treat them as though they were young adults. Dress them, bathe them with care and circumspection. Let your behaviour always be objective and kindly firm. Never hug and never kiss them. Never let them sit in your lap. If you must, kiss them once on the forehead when they say goodnight. Shake hands with them in the morning. Give them a pat on the head if they have made an extraordinary good job of a difficult task. Try it out. In a week's time, you will find how easy it is to be perfectly objective with your child and at the same time kindly you'll be utterly ashamed of the mawkish, sentimental way you have been handling it. I sometimes wish that we could live in a community of homes where each home is supplied with a well-trained nurse so that we could have the babies fed and bathed each week by a different nurse. If you haven't a nurse and cannot leave the child, put it out in the backyard a large part of the day. Build a fence around the yard so that you are sure no harm can come to it. Do this from the time it is born. When the child can crawl, give it a sand pile and be sure to dig some small holes in the yard so it has to crawl in and out of them. Let it learn to overcome difficulties almost from the moment of birth. The child should learn to conquer difficulties away from your watchful eye. How about that, James? That's some fairly serious advice. So never hug your children. Um, yeah, there we have the, the whole the whole history of uh, parental relationships with children. Um, and the process of hugging has its own quite astonishing history. And I think this feeds really nicely into, you know, the history of family relations, and in particular the the sort of relationships between uh, between parents uh, and their and their children, and mothers and 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 their offspring, and particularly that sort of those practices around early early childhood bonding. And I think of the period that I study, which is the early modern period, so from the late 15th through to the 18th century, and the different practices associated with wet nursing. So, you know, children are from an early age actually, you know, not sitting with the mother or being breastfed by the mother, but going to another another woman outside of the home or uh, practices that are associated with swaddling children that sort of, that sort of, you know, are absolutely against or so different from the kinds of sort of practices that we might um, adopt, 
you know, today in 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 Western culture around um, around skin to skin and that kind of early bonding. So yeah, that's absolutely fascinating to hear about that. I want to take us in a in a different direction and and not think about hugging people, but hugging trees. Uh, and I read about this this weekend. Um, and I thought about uh, there was one time about a couple of years ago where I was wandering. Um, I was wandering in Topsham, and I saw somebody that I knew. Uh, who hadn't seen me and this person um who I will not identify uh, went up and hugged a tree and uh, you know and I and I think it it the tr- the whole practice was about it was about communing with nature and I think it was about peace and well-being and tranquility and you know the the term tree huggers nowadays is almost synonymous with the with the environmentalism movement, and 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 quite rightly, and it and it, and it's a very important, um, you know, it's a very important movement, and and you know, people are leading, you know, huge efforts to to protect against environmental disaster and climate change. But I want to reel us back uh, a couple of centuries um, to India, um, and to tell you about you know, where the the first sort of tree huggers. And I want to talk to you about the history of the Kajali massacre. Uh, and this was a story that, that really quite shocked me, uh, so much so that I had to, I went out for a walk this weekend and and, and told it to my daughter, uh, who, was, who was deeply shocked by it. So we're in um, September 1730, and we're in a, a village of Kajali, which is in the Jodhpur district of Rajasthan in India. It's about 26 kilometres or 16 miles away from Jodhpur. Um, it's the village of the Bishnoi people. Uh, and these are people who um, follow 29 life principles. They're a religious sect um, and they live in India's Rajasthan desert. And they've been there for centuries and they're followers of Guru Jambaswa, uh, who lived between 1451 and 1536. Now, what happens in September 1730 is that soldiers turn up in the village, you know, soldiers who were representing the Maharaja Abhai Singh. And these soldiers are there to cut down a tree. Um, and these trees, these Kurjrai these trees, are sort of religious trees, and they're very important to these people. Um, but before the soldiers can go along and chop them down, one woman, a Bishnoi woman named Amrita Devai, runs forward to protect this important tree. And the way that she does it is that she wraps herself around the tree, hugging it, and just refuses to move. And this is a sort of, you know, direct action that you can see, you know, across history, people literally physically, you know, tying themselves to something so that they can't be moved. And what happens is she is decapitated. Uh, and what happens after that, after the soldiers have chopped off her head, her three daughters run up and take her place. And exactly the same happens to them. All three of them are decapitated, killed instantly. And what this does is it then leads simultaneously to a group of other Bishnoi people from about 80-odd different villages in the region 
to come along and replace them. And each in their turn, they take their place, hug the tree and are decapitated. And this becomes known as the Kajali Massacre. And 363 Bishnoi had sacrificed themselves in defence of these trees. Now, the upshot of this is on hearing this, the, the Maharaja uh, intervenes and he overturns the original order. He calls for a ban on the felling of these trees. Uh, the temple is set up. Um, and these people are honoured, and and even to this day, uh, the Bishnoi make a pilgrimage to this to this area. Now, several centuries later, or two centuries later, the inspiration of these Bishnoi people um, it inspires non-violent protests throughout northern India known as the Chipko movement. And this is the year that we're talking about here is 1973. And basically what you have is a series of people who, this is a peaceful movement, a series of people who are you know, protecting their indigenous communities from deforestation. Um, and they're doing it in this sort of, in a, in a peaceful way, protecting their livelihoods, their local communities, and the people who are right at the heart of this are, importantly, the women. And it's the women who are coordinating the peaceful protests, they're coordinating different villages coming together, they're organising between separate villages, making sure that there's always somebody there, they're rotating the sort of shifts that people have throughout the day, and effectively they are they are pursuing an act of non-violence in order to protect their local forests. So there we are, Sam, tree huggers all the way back to 18th century India and the Kajali massacre. That was absolutely fascinating, James. Who knew the history of hugs could actually be so interesting? I hope you have all enjoyed that. And uh, there's going to be many more interesting topics, as ever, coming your way. Do please follow me on social media, at Dr Sam Willis. And you can follow me, at James Daybell. And we are also all over social media. You can follow us on Instagram, and we've seen that many of you are following us there, which is great. You can also follow us on Facebook, and we have a website, historiesoftheunexpected.com, where you can find out everything that we have been doing, and you can also follow the homeschooling series that we launched last year during the first lockdown. Good stuff, guys. I hope you've enjoyed that, and do please check out everything we've been doing, and we'll be in touch soon. Bye! Bye, guys!